Well, as we're in this third week of the series, I actually, if this was not my intention initially, but probably about two weeks ago, as I looked at what's been going on during this pandemic, something else has been, I guess I will say, stirring in me, and not positively in the sense that it's exciting, but more cautiously and out of admonition, wanting to help us, help all of us. And so very simply, what I'm going to ask you to do today is do a little Grinch time for me. Now, in case you don't remember this particular version of the Grinch, I'm trusting you probably are familiar with the story, there's a moment where he takes this little x-ray machine and looks at his heart. And he says, down three sizes, and this time I'm going to keep it off. Now, it's funny when he says it, but I would tell you it's not funny in how life is right now. In fact, as I have been walking through this pandemic, as all of us have been, I've watched this increasing amount of what I would say is cold-heartedness, of shrinking of hearts, of growing hostility, of lines drawn this side and that side, of even things that would seem like they don't matter, mattering, and you kind of can be in trouble for anything. Uh, here, here's a case in point. I'll, I'll just remind you, like, this is my, my mask, and when I'm out and I have it on, and I'm not saying anybody actually does this, but when I see someone with it not on, I assume they're mad at me for having it on. And then I'm sure people who don't have it on, or times when I don't have it on and I see people that do, I'm assuming they're mad at me because I'm not wearing it when I should be. It's a mask. I'm not trying to put any doctrinal significance on it, but it's a case in point of how harshly we've begun to be to one another in every arena at almost every time. Now, I give us some grace in that because we know under pressure, we all kind of get the worst towards each other. In fact, I'm willing to bet in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in work, we're all experiencing that our fuses are shorter and are kind of we're tiring more and more and more likely to be frustrated with one another. But what I'm gonna ask you to do today is we're gonna take the scriptures and we're gonna take it like an x-ray machine up to every single one of our own hearts. This is not a message for you to say someone else needs to hear it. It's not at all what I intend. I intend, as I'm doing in my own heart, having to look it up and go, what's going on inside of me towards others? I'll tell it to you this way because this is how this message unfolded for me, and this is not common. I don't typically change things, uh, and we've made adjustments for what's going on, but even this week, in the last four weeks, I've just had this phrase that kept coming to mind, I believe is from God. It's actually in the scriptures. This is not where we're going for the whole passage. It just kind of sets it up. It's a statement Jesus makes towards the end of time as he's talking about what will go on. He's telling all of these difficult things going on around them, the confusion, lots of different messaging. And he says this, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. For some reason, I just keep hearing this phrase, the love of most is growing cold. I'm not exempting myself from it. As I looked a little more into the passage, even though, again, this is just setting us up, love uh, that Jesus used here, there's different words in the Greek. If you're not familiar, don't worry at all. There, there's one word that people use, philia. It's kind of a brotherly love. There's, there's this idea of uh, platonic, or philia is a passionate love, I'm sorry, platonic love, which is just simply friendship. And then there's this word that's more self-sacrificing, agape. Jesus used this word here. He's saying the love of most, the love we have for each other 
can grow cold. And his admonition is to bear up in it, to stand firm, to hold the ground of love. And I think that's my desire today, is to hold the ground, to open the ground of love. You know, when Jesus, and this is very specific, but I think it's exemplary to love in general. When he's asked about divorce by the rabbis, the product of why God allowed it is because people's hearts grew hard. I don't think that's only to marriage. I think in the midst of how we live, our hearts can grow hard to one another. I want want to be really clear. I'm not talking today about fixing all the things we disagree on. And there are growing amounts of what we disagree about all over the place, in every home, in every church, in every community, every place. I'm talking about how we live in those places. You know, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking of our own mission statement. One that I remember 12 years ago when we first started talking about it, man, the excitement we had, radically loving, growing together in Christ. We said we're going to be the kind of people that love in a way like no one else. In other words, the hearts we have are going to grow so big, they're going to be different than the way people are with each other. In fact, Jesus comments about this in his teachings over and over again. Hey, if you love your friends, what credit is that to you? It's the way you love people that are different, that are your enemies, that are not the people you would easily connect to. And if this weren't enough, we then years later had this tagline, something we'd say to the people outside church, together because life is messy. And and here's what I want to say about these two great words. And we've loved the phrase as we continue to spout them off. And they're beautiful aspirations. They're beautiful things we say. We aspire to this. I wonder what people would say if they see our hearts towards each other today. I wonder if they'd see these things. It makes me grieve in my own life because I feel captive to this too. I rewrote them to the way culture is expecting and I think maybe we're living more up to these days. Reciprocally loving, growing together with people who think like me. Reciprocal love says that you and I give back and forth the way we want to and the way we desire and we're gonna find each other, people that think like us, and we think that's loving. I'm gonna let you just sit with that a minute, and let me give you how I'd rewrite our tagline. Together, as long as your mess isn't something I can't stand. Because I wanna love you, but man, if anybody had to put up with what I have to put up, and by the way, when we say your mess, we're saying we're fine and they're not. I I hope you're hearing and feeling the heart examination. Because this is not about getting us to agree. It's not even about trying to align us or even keep us silent to one another. I think what I wanna do is hold up the scriptures and be able to say to all of us, what's God saying to your own heart? Me first. Believe me, as I've gone through this, I've realized how easy it is for me to look at others and bring a harsh judgment and an unloving disposition. It was Tuesday morning this week, I was leading our morning prayer time, which I've been doing throughout this shelter in place uh, that I committed to doing that. We're gonna do it for one more week. Don't worry, there'll be some things coming again. But during this time, I was just leading us through a passage and I don't know how to say it other than the Holy Spirit went, this is what I want you to talk about this week. And so I am to the best of my ability 
responding to what I believe is a prompting and hoping what it will be is not just holding up an x-ray to our hearts, but holding up a loving, honest assessment where then we say, Holy Spirit, we need you. Because I'll be honest, I don't believe, and nor have I ever believed, that we can actually be radically loving and growing together in Christ. No longer or no longer on our own can we be together because life is messy unless supernaturally the Spirit helps us. What it will require, though, is for you to be willing to set aside anything. Not meaning you won't value what you value, but saying this must be true of those I love. So we're going to go into, thir- into Colossians. It's a very short section of text. It's only a few verses. I'm not going to highlight everything in it, but there were a few things that stood out to me that I think might be helpful to us because I'm not trying to hold it up and say, look how small our hearts are becoming. I'm trying to hold it up going, God has such a deeper thing in mind for us. I think it's taken us down. I think it's making us no different than the rest of culture. And we know how polarizing culture is right now. So let me just invite you to hear these words and let's ask the Lord to meet us in them. Therefore, Paul writes, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. When Paul was writing to the church in Colossae, their major struggle was they'd made too little of Jesus. They had lowered the significance of him. And so much of this letter is him reminding them of just how great he is. And and this is really the foundation for radical love right here. We radically love because God chose us. And make no mistake, I am not being reformed in my statement of this. I think God chooses every single person and it's whether or not we want to respond. He's saying, I love you. I want you with me. And he says it to us in the darkest places of life, holy and dearly loved. What that's saying to us is God is pure in his love for us and it is unquenchable, unshakable. And boy, that is the foundation for how we live We always live because he first loved us. Could it be that our hearts are shrinking because we just don't fully understand the depth of his love for us? You know, before I even go on, I want to remind you, maybe what you need more than anything today is just to experience how deeply God loves you. Even in the ways you might be embarrassed that you act towards others, that God still loves you in that. He's still for you in that. He just wants to see it change because he has so much more for you to love out of how you've been loved. I didn't want to run past it because everything else is about how we now live this out. And if we don't get this, how we live it out is very different. And I might just challenge it this way. And I guess I'll speak for my own life. When we first got into all of this, I was watching the news a lot, and don't even worry about which one it was. Don't worry, I violate everything and watch everybody's news that everybody else hates. I watch it all, and I never feel good after I watch either side or whatever it is. I've watched all of the harsh hostility that our leaders in our nation give to each other, and I think what happened was I found myself getting so full of that that my heart started to shrink, and even when I said I didn't, align this way I did. And it's going to sound really silly maybe, but I think it was profound. One of the things I've had to do is just shut it off. 
I have had to say, if I am not even more seeking the presence of God in this time, I will be susceptible in my own life to a shrinking heart because I do not care what your ideology is. Right now, the heart behind it is really dark on every side. They're not modeling radical love, none of them. And I'm just cautioning us to where we're getting fed right now. Paul then from here continues. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want you to know that even clothing yourself, this is a work of the Spirit, so I'm not saying you just suddenly do it. I highlighted the first one, and I'm gonna go through all five briefly, but I highlighted compassion for a reason. I, I can't say Paul intended it to be the foundation, but I think I can say right now, this is the foundational problem in our world and in us. Compassion really uh, is the ability to understand where someone else is coming from. And, and I'm gonna say this very harshly, and I'm not gonna apologize for it. We're not good at this. If you tell yourself you're incredibly compassionate, you're, if you are, you're like the, the half percent of people that are. We are very unable to stand in someone else's place. And until we realize that we lack the compassion and understanding of what someone else is living in, we will not know how to love them. Compassion says, I listen to know you. I don't listen to refute and I don't listen to rebuke. I listen to understand. I wonder if we did nothing else today but say, Holy Spirit, help me to start see people with your eyes, to feel with your heart, to understand with your mind. Compassion itself literally means to be in the intestines, in the bowels. I mean, it sounds gross, doesn't it? Every kid's going, in the bowels? That's your, Dad, what's a bowel? We don't even have to get into that. What it's saying is it's inside, it's the heart, it's every part of us connects to what's going on. Think about it when you watch a movie of an experience and you're drawn in because the story brings you into that person's life. That's what compassion is. It brings us in to who they are, not who we are. And every one of these follows. That's why I wanted to stop, start there. Kindness literally means to do goodness to other people, to do things that are good. Reciprocal love says, I do this for people who think like me and act like me. Radical love says, I do this for people that are actually different than me. We have defined ourselves more and more in our lives right now by who we're like and who we're different from, not by the image bearing they have. Humility. I think humility, I could have highlighted too. Humility, we, we understand, we hear it talked about a lot. I wanna give you humility in another way to think about today. When we're not humble, we get into a difficulty. What we want to be is right. We go to battle to make sure we win. Winning, winning again, I have to win. And man, make no mistake, I like to win. I like to argue. I like to combat those things. When I hear clothing yourself in humility, what I hear is, can you let go of the need to be right for the sake of love? I'm not at all suggesting we have to agree about things. I'm suggesting our posture's different. I am so tired of mic drop moments. 
It seems like we're living in a culture and climate of the next thing I'm going to say is going to be right, and I'm going to prove my case, drop my mic, and everyone who agrees with me will be alongside of me. And then we're going to look and see who agrees with me so we can know who's on my side and who's on the other side. Humility says, man, you know, I don't even know if I get it right, but if I do and I get it right the wrong way, not loving, I'm in the wrong place. Humility says, man, I'm going to lay this down for the sake of valuing others. It's not going to be the hill I die on. Let me move to gentleness. The way I like to think about gentleness, it's mildness is is in the, the Greek. It's a unique way of saying it. When things are difficult, and I, this is my tendency, I can turn into a porcupine. In other words, my pines come out, I get self-protective, and I make sure that things sting when I'm struggling. Gentleness says, I will be kind in this, even at the point I want to be self-defensive and protective. Gentleness says, I can do this in a loving way, and if I can't, I must step back and ask the Holy Spirit to help me because that's the only way I'll be clothed in a way like this. And the last one is patience. (laughs) This is what I've realized is whatever we come out of in this pandemic, I'm telling you these disagreements are not going away. It is a new day. We do not all think like each other as particularly in our Midwest area we have in the past. Patience is learning to endure and walk with each other in the differences. See, radical love is loving each other in our differences, not in our similarities. I think we've settled for reciprocal love. I think it's making our hearts shrink and grow cold, and I think God's calling us to something different. On our Tuesday morning study, I was reading through a, it was a Lectio Divina of this. We did it multiple times, and in one of the times through, the author who gives the guidance that I was reading made this great statement, picture yourself at the end of your life, and people can't, are talking about how you live these things out so much, it was like you were wearing clothing of it. Man, I gotta tell you, Tom, he was so loving and so Christ-like, it just was like he put on compassion in how he lived. It was like he put on gentleness. It was like he just put on humility. He put on kindness. He put on patience. Isn't that what we want people to say about us? I'm telling you, that has to start in the church, not outside of the church. You know, the church for most of its history have been people that come together with lots of differences. And that's why I think Paul and other leaders had to keep writing about how they treated each other. And so for us, I go, I think this is a day that God wants to take, just take the little x-ray machine and look at our hearts and say there's something better, there's a different way. It won't be winning your argument. You can keep having them, I'm certainly not telling you not to, but I'm telling you, You will not win or lose and move ahead by how that is answered. You will win and lose by how you love people or don't. Paul gives advice, I think, that solidifies this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another as if if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just to remind you, forgiveness is not optional. I'm not at all saying it's easy but it's not optional. Bearing with each other means you literally realize it's not simply a simple journey that everything goes well and without difficulty. Bearing with says we actually 
fight and struggle to move towards each other. It's difficult. It will require forgiveness. It will require asking forgiveness. This is something the church should be great at, by the way. We should become professional at this, not because it's easy and not because we can just say it. Oh, Jesus died for my sins, I forgive you. But because we move into it in all of its difficulty. You want to know how your heart grows? It grows as you move towards others. And you say, man, I got to let go of this. I know this is different, but this is my brother. This is my sister. This is my wife. This is my husband. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my grandfather. This is my friend. This is my coworker. I'm telling you, this is what God's calling us to. You want to Velcro through this time? Please stop Velcroing to the polarizing differences. Please start Velcroing to the Spirit's power to help us be radically loving people that love in our differences, not simply in our similarities, that live into each other's messes even when we don't like them, even when they trigger our messes, by the way, which I will tell you is one of the things I'm discovering. Much of other people's messes are simply wonderful ways to highlight mine. And the way I like to say them is, boy, they're so messed up. I can see it clearly, and what I don't see is their mess is triggering mine. I think that's why God says forgive, as, and Paul does, why the Lord forgave you, is most often what triggers us is something in us, not just something in others. Let me take you to where this culminates. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's why Jesus said, the love of most will grow cold, but stand firm until the end. He didn't say, think the right things, even do the right things, though I know that's built in. It was about love. It was about how we actually love differently. You see, radical love is found in the way we love people and our differences, not in the way we love each other and our similarities. And Paul says, take all of this, even as you put on clothes, and all of it will hold together out of love. Now, I've been very careful in speaking directly with any specificity to our political climate. And I only want to speak this way to it, not with any, don't worry, I'm not asking you to change anything you stand for. But I want to challenge something about the level with which you stand. And I want to give you three pictures to do that. Because what I believe has happened in our days is now we aren't just saying I wrap everything around love. We say I wrap it around love and you must agree with my political ideology at best, at worst, you must at least be quiet when you don't. And please, don't ever say something that offends mine. And then we're offended that way, but we're not offended when we say things that offend others. It's a very strange, sad standard. But I want to give you just three pictures to at least have you question how high you've elevated this in your life. And, and I'm just going to give them to you the way I understand them. I want to start with Jesus. It's a fascinating piece of Jesus and even the rabbinic traditions that were part of the day when he walked the earth. There were more orthodox and conservative rabbis and there were more, we'd probably call them today progressive, though it had different meanings then, but how they viewed things. Jesus didn't simply align with one, it was crazy. 
When it came to something like marriage, he aligned very much with the conservative rabbis. He's asked the question, can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? That was a very progressive way of thinking about it. It was very kind of relaxed. Hey, whatever it is, it comes from Deuteronomy. Basically, it says if a wife does something, uh, I can't even remember the word for it, but it's basically something important to the husband, he can give her a certificate. Jesus came to that one and said, you know what? No, no, no. We need to protect those that have no power, and we need to be very clear on the heart of this. And the only reason Moses let you do this was because your hearts were hard. He aligned very conservatively rabbinically. On the other side, this same group that was so conservative was very protective of the purity of the synagogue and the way of Israel. There were lots of rules to how close you got and how you got there. And Jesus went completely the other way with a very much a very looser tradition of rabbis that said, no, 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 no. We will do anything and everything we can to get the most people closest to the temple. And all I'm showing you in this and not even trying to polarize them, but saying Jesus' way of living will never fit one ideology. And my biggest concern right now is that it's almost become taboo to raise something that might violate your sensibilities politically because you'll be angry and unloving if I do it. And it just can't be that way. We're gonna be rooted in love and we're gonna be rooted in the kingdom of God, not your political kingdom. It just can't happen. That's one piece I want you to take off. Let me give you a second one from the church in Galatia. Paul writes to this church and they have basically Judaized on top of becoming followers. So every person first has to believe in Jesus. He lived, died, and rose again. The next step is they need to live like a Jew, following the rules of the Jews. And then if they do those two things, they're finally pleasing to God. My concern today is what's coming to be much more is we need to know Jesus and we need to hold to a very specific set of values politically in order to then be acceptable to God and each other. I, again, am not espousing what they should be. I'm saying they just shouldn't be that condition. It's wrong. And let me just give you one more example from history. The church has been in existence for almost 2,000 years. We have thrived under oppressive Roman rule. We've thrived with czars and kings and queens. We've thrived with prime ministers and presidents. We thrive in whatever the government is but we do not say that is who we are. And maybe I just want you to know this. You know, we have a two-party system right now, and that whole system keeps telling us you're either this or you're that. Good, bad, good, bad. That's how we live. And you cross any of those things, you are gonna get it big time. We haven't even had those systems for 200 years. And guess what, 100 years from now, neither might even exist. We are dying on the wrong hill. And we think somehow that's gonna move us ahead. It's not. It's not gonna move us ahead. It's just gonna separate us. We're all these things put on love, which binds them in perfect unity. Radical love is a love we have for each other in our differences. We'll never be the church if we're reciprocally loving. I want you to get this about love. Radical love is the means, meaning it's how we get there. It's the mission, meaning it's what we're called to do and be, and it's the power of the church. I'm never gonna figure out a way to get us to agree on all this political good, but I'm gonna do everything I can to shake it loose from saying that has to be for us to be the church.
So let me ask you to take that little x-ray and put it up to your heart right now. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. If you don't feel it, I'm not going to, you can tell me I'm out to lunch and I'm wrong. But I'm going to get on my knees. And I'm going to ask you where you are to get on your knees. Because you know, all I know to do is confess that we have settled for the wrong hill. And it's just tearing us apart instead of moving us together. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer of confession. If you want to confess with me, you can. If you think I'm wrong and you want to remind people of it, you can do that too. I'm not dying on that hill. Let me just pray for us. God, I confess to you that we have acquiesced, we have settled for something less than the gospel. We've said it's Jesus and every one of us, God. God, I confess that I have looked at people differently from things they say to things they write to the way they treat each other and even treat me. God, I think I have treated others in this way too. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me where my heart has said, I'll love you, but not you. I'll love you, but only if, I only want to be in relationship if this is true. God, I confess that I have sinned and we have sinned and how we have become cold to one another. And God, I am begging you, Holy Spirit, fill us freshly that we can look at each other in new ways, that it would begin with our own seeking of forgiveness, that even when we see it in each other, we would begin to challenge it in a loving way. Wait a minute, you're talking about a brother, a sister in Christ. God, change our witness because we actually become radically loving. Change our witness because we actually live together in the mess, even the things we can't stand. And when we see them, God, help us to look to what's in us, not them. God, change our hearts. Grow our hearts. God, I want to be like the Grinch at the end of the story. says, it's growing so big, it actually aches. I love the way you're changing my heart. We want that in reality by the power of your spirit. So God, we cry out today. Grow our hearts for you, our love for you, our love for each other, our love for those different than us. And God, break down these idols that say it must be this too. Break down the way we put our hope in the wrong places. Let us live and love and put our hope in you and you alone, Lord. I pray this in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen.